From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast, Moral Victories Hot Take Edition, after Florida State loses at home to Louisville 31-23, dropping to 0-4 for the first time since 1974. So quite a few of us were not born the last time Florida State was 0-4, but we also weren't born the last time they were 0-3. As always, this show brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Garage Makeovers, the best garage remodeling company in Palm Beach and Broward County. So it was the worst of times. It was the moral victory of times. And it basically boils down to this. Louisville dominated one quarter of this game just absolutely flat out dominated the first quarter and it was enough to win if you're gonna dominate a quarter in a game it's oftentimes best to dominate the first quarter because well the first quarter allows you to kind of set the table for the rest so yeah it matters where your dominance comes from it matters the order (laughs) of um of how things actually go so you know order of success matters If the order of success in this game had been flipped, I think this is a game that Florida State almost certainly hangs on for a win. If you look at the overall stats in this game, Florida State looks like the winners. When you look at this and you just cover the score. Now, it's just interesting. I mean, that's that's the way that this this looks. This is the third game in a row where Florida State outgained their opponent in yards per play and lost. This time, six, six yards per play for Florida State to 4.9 yards per play. That's a winning margin most of the time. I mean, you're going to win probably 60%, 65% of your games that you outgain your opponent by 1.1 yards per play like that in that, in that yard range. Whew. But as usual, Florida State not good enough in situations. And there were other factors here and some hidden yardage. They, they got killed in hidden yardage. Field position, that 70-plus yard punt that flipped the field was absolutely huge at the time. And again, it was a situation where I think Louisville did change some things once they got a lead. I mean, they turtled a bit. They they got into their shell and basically waited waited Florida State out. They were convinced that Florida State wasn't going to be able to score enough to, to get to 31. And they were right. They scored on their first five possessions. That's not good. Now, Florida State got stops on the final eight. (laughs) That's actually pretty good. You get eight stops in a row in the modern game. That's that's very good. But again, order of success matters. And Florida State's going to have to figure out how to win first quarters at some point. They got to figure out how to win games. They got to figure out how to got to figure out how to start and finish. You know, the middle part, they've been mostly better than better, better than the other parts in those those sections. But the beginnings and ends have not been so good. And that's where they where, that's where they stand. I do think you could see much better defensive effort in the second half, it's particularly after the Corbin touchdown, which seemed to breathe life into the defense. And at that point, from that point forward, it was a game on situation. You could see the defense actually started to believe that they could that they could actually do some things in this game. And they got a lot better. Now, looking specifically at the offensive side of the of the ball. The first quarter and a half was mostly bad and definitely ugly. 
They were disjointed, couldn't get any rhythm. And part of that is that Milton just looked uncomfortable throughout. And it wasn't just a matter of him getting pressure. I mean, he did get some pressure at times, but it was also a situation where he, he was rat trapping a bit. He was going back there and you could see he was just thinking too much and was not getting the ball out quickly enough. And that allowed some of the pressure and other things to get to him, even when the offensive line initially was on their blocks. To me, everything changed with regard to that, with the final drive of the second quarter, where they went into the two-minute offense, and all of a sudden it was like a switch flipped for Milton. Suddenly he looked more comfortable, stopped thinking, started reacting, and started slinging the ball around. And even the even how well he was spinning the ball at that point changed. Started making the throws. Now, yes, Louisville suddenly was playing soft there, but I think something about getting into that tempo and just getting to where he had to, he knew he had to just drop back, make a quick read and let it go. Suddenly he looked that much better. And that carried into the second half, even when he wasn't great in the second half. And I think he had a couple places where that, um, that foot that goes numb in on his right side, tripped him up. That was the turf monster situation in a couple, a couple plays. So he was definitely not feeling a hundred percent. But second half, even when he was was not great, he was still getting the ball out quicker and looked more comfortable overall. Now, I'd like to see him get it out even quicker. You know, he the, the less he runs, the less he has to move around, the better. You know, it's one of those, you know, one, two, three, and get it out. Don't worry about too much else. And you, you just, you have to settle on that. But I, I thought in this game, offensively, they figured out a little bit of who they are in the second half. I mean, it seemed to me that suddenly, I mean, it it has, it was all the way back to the Notre Dame game where they, they looked like they had a little bit of an offensive identity. And all of a sudden, again, in the second half, it looked like they were regaining that offensive identity. Now, the, one of the things in common is Robert Scott did play offensive tackle. Now he struggled some tonight. You could see he's definitely not a hundred percent and they had him at right tackle for a reason because he's definitely not 100%. But he was still better overall. And in the second half, they figured out what they needed to do, and they went from 3.4 yards per play in the first quarter to 8.3 yards per play in the second quarter to 6.0 and 6.1 yards per play in the third and fourth quarter. So they averaged 3.4 yards per play in the first quarter and then basically doubled that the rest of the game. They, they started to figure out who they are, I think, offensively in this game with Milton at quarterback. That's saying something. And that's actually really encouraging. If they can actually start to have some sense of, okay, we these are a few things we can actually do with this personnel and with this guy at quarterback and, and all of that, and they can get a couple weeks in a row with the same personnel, and they've figured that out, That's that would go a long way. Now, I thought that actually some of the success they had throwing the ball at the end of the first half did help them set up some of the run in the second half. And they, they made some adjustments with how they blocked some things in the second half. And they went from 10 carries for 15 yards in the first half. That's not good. To 26 for 190, 7.5 yards per carry in the second half. And yeah, those are boosted by some of those long runs, but that's the point. You're trying to get those. You're trying to generate those. And yeah, they only threw it for 83 yards in the second half, but they did get three first downs on, on, on passes. They had enough success to actually move the football a little bit. And where they found the success was in the zone running game, actually. 
They didn't they didn't do so much in the gap blocking stuff in the second half. They they just got a hat on a hat and let the backs do their thing. And they were actually able to win. And they won on the offensive line a good bit in the second half. They lost in a couple key key situations, but they again they seem to have some identity in the second half. And and you hope that against Syracuse they can carry that forward and, and have enough success that this team can taste success and can taste what it feels like to win and maybe start to turn into a bit of a, 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 a of a threat to upset some teams down the stretch. It's basically what you're doing. Now, game plan-wise, Louisville came into this game just begging Milton to throw downfield. Basically, they said, he's got a pea shooter arm. We're going to force you to throw downfield. They, they put eight, nine in the box. I mean, they'd have nine guys within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage on neutral downs. And then on passing downs, they would they would drop eight and basically say, we're going to take away all of the, the short and intermediate uh, throws, and we're going to demand that you throw over the top. Good luck. That, that, that was that. But he actually found some seams despite that at different points once he actually started to get comfortable. And that's a really promising thing. Now, as for that final play, that final interception, that was completely on Andrew Parchment. Yes, the, the ball was not perfectly located, as, as you could see, based on what Parchment did. But it was not a bad throw based on what Parchment was supposed to do, which is the way that this works is on that vertical. Milton is dropping, and when he hits the back of his drop, if Parchment is even with his, with his defensive back or behind the defensive back in terms of his hips, if the DB is basically cutting him off a little bit, then that turns into a back shoulder throw. It's a one-on-one. You're taking that either way. If the defensive back is over the top or even, that's a back shoulder throw. If Parchment has gotten over the top, if he's ahead of the defensive back, then the quarterback's supposed to just turn it loose and throw it deep. Parchment was over the top when that ball was released. His job is to stack the defensive back, which means to get over the top of him, cut him off a little bit, but basically never come back underneath. You have to stay over top unless the ball is badly over underthrown when you, you, you do come underneath. But Parchment decided that he was going to come underneath way before he should have. He should have just gotten over top, stacked, and then run to the football. And if he'd have done that, it would have been, a, a, at worst, a pass interference. Even if it's underthrown, if you, if you stack your DB, you can generally force pass interference because you see it before he does that it's underthrown. You hit the brakes and he runs right into you and that's, that's pass interference. Instead, Parchment tried to work his way back underneath the defensive back, which gave the defensive back the position that, that Parchment was in initially and that he should have stayed in, which led to the interception. So, unfortunate situation there, but again, that's something that the wide receiver room will have plenty of chance to learn from moving forward. But I thought that the progress on offense was actually very positive today even though, again, you would have liked better progress in the first quarter, the final three quarters, I, I think you, you've got to feel pretty good about what you saw there, even though, again, Louisville was kind of playing a little bit softer in the second, in, in the second half, basically trying to, trying to require Florida State to run the clock in order to, uh, to basically do what they did and, and win on, on, with the time running out. So, yeah, there's some truth to that, but still enough positives there offensively to feel pretty good about it. Now, defensively, maybe an even worse start than the offense. <laughs> I mean, just they just got run by for the first score. 
I mean, just compressed formation and Louisville just went play action and ran a post route and there was nobody in the screen. Corner wasn't fast enough to run with him, didn't redirect at all. Safety disappeared and there you go. And I thought overall in the first half, there was a bit of going through the motions in in terms of effort. Not going to name specific players because I think it was across the board for the most part, but I thought there was generally a fairly lukewarm effort in the first quarter in particular, where they, they just seemed to come out not quite where they should have been in terms of the level of play overall. And that's why they gave up 6.5 yards per play in the first quarter. Louisville did exactly what we expected. I mean, they picked on the linebackers. They used Malik Cunningham's legs as the primary primary weapons, forced the linebackers to to do a couple different things at once. And then, you know, they targeted the quarter, the corners on some short stuff. And the corners gave up too much, no doubt. Linebackers struggled in coverage, no doubt. But they did start flying to the ball in the second half in particular. I mean, they went from 6.5 yards per play in the first quarter to 5.7 in the second quarter, which is still not great. And then 2.7 in the second half. That's 3.1 in the third quarter and 2.5 in the fourth. Yeah, that's... You get that at any point this year. You get that kind of... That level of defensive play... And you win ball games. I mean, you actually beat decent teams playing the way that they did in the second half. They started winning up front. They started getting second level guys to fly to the football. Fewer busts, just a generally better effort overall. And I know a lot of people out there just ripping into the scheme and the, the defensive play calling or whatever, but it really does boil down to that. It's fewer busts, better effort, better players in certain cases. But when the guys actually are doing, when, when the defensive players are doing their jobs, they're not trying to, to do other people's jobs. When they're not busting and when they're giving full effort, this defense actually looks pretty good. They look pretty good against Notre Dame when they did that. And they gave, they, they, you got to think about it. Not only did they get eight, uh, eight stops in a row, they got five three and outs. Well, five three and outs, four three and outs, and then one four and out where they went on down. So they, they went forward on fourth down and didn't get it. So I, I would count that as a three and out as well. So, I mean, that's five, five of those. That's good in a, in one game. That's excellent. But again, gave up way too much early and too many busts and the effort was uneven, especially early. But if they can, if they can actually get them to buy in and do what they did in the second half. And again, it's true. Louisville, shut it down a little bit in terms of how much they, they asked Malik Cunningham to, to throw the ball down the field, no doubt. But again, I just want to emphasize the difference in effort, the difference in, in being able to get guys to, to get guys on the ground, those things that made a huge difference. So the other thing is that when you look at this, the techniques that we're seeing technique has improved. It goes in and out as you would expect. But technique has improved. And again, when guys are, are not busting, things can actually look pretty decent. Should this staff have gotten through to these guys better? Probably. But again, what we're dealing with is we're dealing with... And actually, I'll just go ahead and, and get into this in terms of the overall. So we're moving past the defense here. We're dealing with a roster that has... Very few guys who've been in the same system for more than a year. COVID was, you know, the COVID year is kind of hard, but in, in terms of any of that. So you can't really count that as a full year. 
but even if you account the, the COVID year as a full year, this is at most the second year in the system for everybody here. And then you take that group and most of those players are either in their first or second year in college. So it is only their, <laughs> their only systems that they've known and they're still learning those. And they're really in their first year of being able to get all those reps and to really learn it in person. Or you're dealing with transfers who have who are still learning the system and some of them are learning the system after having joined in the fall. Or you're dealing with people who've had three and four defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, who are still, again, learning how to stop thinking and how to just do what they're supposed to do and react. So much of program development is getting to where you have third and fourth year players who actually know what they're doing within the system that you're running. So much of what you're doing is that. And if you've got a bunch of guys who don't know the system or who are fairly new in the system, you're going to get a bunch of busts. That's where they are. And learning how to play hard within a system, learning how to just turn it loose, you, have to, you actually have to know your job so well that you are reacting. So I think a big part of what we're seeing is that. And what's encouraging is that you're seeing, in general, better techniques. You're seeing improvement in, in a variety of areas, particularly in second halves after they're able to go back and use the first half to fix some things. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who are basically saying that they need to fire both coordinators or one or both coordinators and, you know, move on to, you know, better, better options and all that. I, I don't think that that's, that's a good idea. I certainly don't think that's a good idea in season right now. Because I think so much of what we're seeing right now is the result of three transition classes. I'm counting essentially the COVID class as a second transition class. And then if you go back to Jimbo's last class, I mean, that wasn't exactly much of a, of a non-transition class either. I mean, essentially, you've got three transition classes out of the last five. The roster is not good. It's got some serious holes. It's got some really thin marks. The, the wide receiver position is the worst it's been since... I'd say 2009. And you just don't have the, the playmakers on either side of the ball that you're used to seeing out there. So you're dealing with that. And then on top of that, you're dealing with the situation where you've had so much turnover on the coaching side that there's been no development. Because again, you can't develop guys if you're not developing them towards something. Development requires coaching stability and the same vision for more than one year at a time. And they've not had that. I mean, nobody's been in this system, in, in the same system for more than two years at a time in this program, ever. So would I consider making changes after the season? Yeah, yeah, I would. I think you need to evaluate and decide whether the process is working at each spot, but you don't make those decisions knee-jerk and not during season. And no, I don't think Randy Shannon is a good idea for the next full-time defensive coordinator. I just don't. Part of that is, you know, I, I know what Jimbo Fisher used to think about, you know, every time he got a chance to go against a Randy Shannon defense. It was one of those like, well, this this is a holiday. You know, oh man, this this is refreshing. We get to go against them. So I generally, as a rule, am am not in favor of of a coordinator situation where I know other coordinators who face them that say, mm, yeah, I can't wait to face that guy in the in what he in the way he calls a game. Just my 
That's that's my opinion. <laughs> and some may disagree with me, but I just don't think it's a good idea. And again, if you if you make changes right now, you're just you're reducing the number of eyes that you can depend on in your uh, in your program. You need as many people right now helping out and helping develop as anything right now. That's what you're working toward. The other thing is, as far as the quarterback situation, I know some people are saying they need to they need to put Purdy out there. I again disagree. Unless you're forced. This is a flushed season. There is no reason at this point to push for a, for one or two more wins when it's not necessarily going to help you down the line. It's a flushed season. You get through it with Mackenzie Milton if you can, and you try to steal a few wins if you can. But you don't ruin the future for the, for the present. First of all, if Purdy's not completely ready, you don't play him because you're not going to get a whole lot better. I mean, you might get a little bit better per performance out of him than what they've gotten out of Mackenzie Milton so far. Maybe. Reports from practice is that that's not likely. Again, they see these guys every day in practice. But even if it was going to be just a little better, the chance that you might ruin Purdy is not worth putting him out there to see what you got. The other problem is that you don't want to chase the most important recruit other than Hunter, and you could make the case that he might even be more important given the position, but one of the two most important recruits in your in your class away. You don't want to play Purdy, and then all of a sudden Duffy goes, hmm, you know, I, I this may affect whether I'm going to be uh, able to win that job as a freshman. Duffy's critical for your program moving forward. You want next year to be a competition between Purdy and Duffy to win the job with Duffy actually already on your campus. Because then you actually have a chance to be good for the future. So that's what your focus is right now. Your focus is on developing players in practice every day and also to some degree in games, but developing your guys for next year and the year following. That's what you're trying to do. You have to focus that way. And I know this is not the way that most Florida State fans like to think. Not used to true rebuilding, to ground up rebuilding, but that's where this is. You have to actually start saying, well, you know, is it worth selling out, maybe mortgaging a, a little bit of the future to win another game this year? No, it's not. Because one or two more games next year makes all the difference. It doesn't make much difference at all this year. And looking forward, I mean, I imagine Syracuse should, should be a win. I, I think Florida State should be favored in that game. UMass should be a win. Other than that, I don't, I don't know that there's another win on the schedule. Two win, a two-win season is absolutely in play. Now, the question, though, is whether they're going to get better in that process. It's all going to be about the process. Are we going to see them losing close? Are we going to see them giving, giving good teams a slugfest? If they're doing that, and they're doing that in ways that show that they're growing as a team and that they're developing players as they should, then you stick with things and you keep moving forward. You don't make changes just to make changes. And you develop guys towards a more successful season next year where you start winning those close games. And then the year following, you start winning bigger games. That's just the way this works at this level. I know we're not used to it, but that's the way it has to be when you get to this point. And this is this is pretty low for Florida State, but when you're here, you have to build your way out. You can't just keep digging.
The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.